Oma Gyanat Mirandasya Gyananjana Salakaya Chakshurum Litam Dhenatasmai Sri Gurave Namaha Vande Shri Krishna Chaitanya Nityananda Sohorito Gaudadai Pushpavanto Chitro Sandotumonudo Harinam Prabhu Ki Jai Shri Goryavashnav Guru Parampara Ki Jai Gaur Bhaktabhinda Ki Jai so with regard to Guru, of course, today is the day that uh, is my birthday, and devotees, they say, happy birthday, or should I say, happy Vyasa Puja, or how should I hear that fairly often. And um, it's, uh, it was common in Prabhupada's mission to think that one's birthday was not auspicious because it meant taking birth in a material body, in the material world, and so on. So a lot of devotees had that kind of take on birthdays. And I remember after Prabhupada's disappearance, one of my godbrothers was having the darshan of Srila Sridhar Maharaj sitting on his veranda, and he said that uh, Guru Maharaj, today is a very inauspicious day. And Sridhar Maharaj said, really? What is that? And uh, this devotee said, it's my birthday. So, and then Sashridhar Maharaj replied, inauspicious, he said, how can that be? In this life, you have got a human birth, and that is very auspicious and very, very rare. And if you combine that rarity of human birth with the fact that you have connection with the Sadguru, a real guru, and sadhus, saintly persons, this makes for a very auspicious birth. That's why he turned it around and explained that it was such was a very auspicious occasion. And we think of it in light of not only the fact that we are born in the material world, but born as a human being in contact with saintly persons, which Govindadas says, what is the uh, method for crossing over the material of the Baba Sindhu, the ocean of material existence? The rare opportunity of Manava Janma, human birth, and Satsange, good company. We also say, often, we've been taught to recite the, the poem, the prayer, the stanza, Oma Jnana Timirandasya Gyananjana Salakaya Chaksuri Militam Yenatasmai Sri Guru Venama. That I was born in ignorance, but that my guru has given me eyes to see. So I can attest to both of these things. Born in ignorance, but my Gurudev has given me eyes to see. For some reason, I like to think it's auspicious. I was born in the Holy Name Hospital in Teaneck, New Jersey. (laughs) (laughs) The Holy Holy Name Hospital, 54 years ago, today, according to the lunar calculation which then, if calculated annually, comes every year, one day before Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance, Gaur Purnima, which, as I mentioned, we'll honor today and tomorrow. So, beginning last year, I started to write, in, in an impromptu way, a commentary on Srila Vishwanath Chakravati Thakur's Guru Vastakam, his eight prayers in glorification of the spiritual master. And... 
the occasion for my inspiration to, to write that was this occasion last year, and knowing that many devotees or a number of devotees were going to be writing some offering in honor of myself or their relationship with myself, and I thought I should write something back. And of course now this has happened again this year, and I imagine it will happen every year that some of the devotees publish a little website for those who make offerings or would like to read those offerings. So last year, the uh, what I wrote, uh, I wrote on the uh, sixth stanza, I believe. Sakshad Haritena Samastashastra. Is that the sixth? Seventh. And that um, was published. And again, it, this was published again this year for those of you who saw that site this morning. Reason being that I didn't finish the one that I was writing for this year. And I, so I, anyway, as this year came around, I thought I should write another one. Then this morning I thought, well, maybe I should make it a 10-year project. One each year, that's eight years. <laughs> and then there's an afterthought that Vishwanath Chakritakar has given to that, a ninth verse. So one for that and the tenth year to just think about the whole thing and write whatever else might come to mind. So I'm in the midst and I'm a little behind and, and some of you, well-intended as, as you are, also didn't uh, finish writing an offering and didn't get to writing an offering and I will understand that and I, as I'm pointing out, tardy also and guilty in this regard of putting my contribution on that site. It's understandable and um, these are... Such writings are always a little bit uh, bewildering for the devotees. I know I didn't write one every single year for Prabhupada, and Prabhupada didn't write one every single year for his uh, Gurudev Shri Bhakti Sarasthi Thakur either. So it's not the sum and substance of observance of this occasion. And we should talk a little bit more about that, the substance of that. And I'll do it as best I can by referencing the first verse of Chakrabhati Thakur's stanzas about Shri Guru, which, as I mentioned, I'm in the course of writing some brief comment about. He says, Sripad Vishwanath Chakrabarti, Sangsara Dhavanala Vidaloka Tranaya Karunya Ganaganatvam Praptasya Kalyana Gunarnavasya Pandi Guru Shri Charanaravindam. So, these prayers in the Gaudiya Saraswat Sampradaya of course, are recited regularly, daily. We used to sing them twice in the Los Angeles Temple, New Dwarka. When I got there, that was the procedure. We would sing them in the morning for the Mongol Artik. And then it's about 6 or 6.30, we would have what was called a Guru Puja. And some of the devotees who were free at that time and didn't have seva would come into the temple and sit before Prabhupada's picture. And again, we would chant these prayers. I remember that Prabhupada heard the latter chanting sometimes, or maybe it was the former, certainly he was up at that time, but I, but I think for the former, during the Mongol Arctic, he was probably writing. But uh, at 6.30 when he was there, and he came to L.A. fairly often, one morning, I believe it was at that time, he heard the uh, singing and the pronunciation wasn't quite right. It's Bande Guroshi Charnadavindam, and they were singing Bande, how do you say cow? Guru. Goro. So he, I offer my obeisances to the lotus feet of the cow, something like that. He had a chuckle about that, which isn't as far off, <laughs> considering our theology, as it might sound to an uninitiated or uninformed person. <laughs> but um, besides, of course, knowing the meaning of this, and we'll try to go into this in some depth, 
these stanzas. The spirit behind it is what's all important. Therefore, Krishna has sometimes been described as being Baba Grahijanardana. The Lord is one who accepts the spirit of the offering, even if there is some irregularity in the presentation. So put your heart in the right place and everything else will fall into place in time. But don't either use that as an excuse, my heart's in the right place, that is to say, not to learn the details as well. That will make it more more beautiful. So this is a tune or a stanza, a song, eight prayers that most of us are familiar with. Many of us have chanted every day for many, many years. And it begins with this stanza with the word samsara. Samsara means material existence. And it implies a passing through of various states of consciousness. So this is what material existence is about, transmigration through various states of consciousness or identification. And in the nature of it is circular. The circle is uh, something that is both full and incomplete. We say if a logic is circular, that it's, it's not complete, that it, it falls short. At the same time, we know that the circle also often implies a fullness. So material existence is, is both. It's both incomplete, but it's full. It's fully incomplete. <laughs> it's, uh, it's not what it appears to be. It's illusory, and there couldn't be a more comprehensive form of illusion than that which is mastered by the, by the magic of Bhagavan Vishnu, Vishnu Maya. It's something to marvel at. I've told a story before how after I, in my younger years at 25, I had just taken sannyas from Prabhupada in Vrindavan, 1975, and then he came to the United States that summer, and uh, he was in New York in his quarters on the 11th floor of his big building in Manhattan that he was so proud of having acquired for Krishna. And uh, he asked me, he said, have you seen the New York women? And uh, I didn't know what to say. I thought he was, maybe he was testing me or something. Have you seen? His eyes lit up real big. Have you seen the New York women? And I just remained silent. And he said, they are so beautiful. And he began speaking about the beauty of the New York women. And, as he, and I was watching him and just wondering what he was really talking about. And then as he went on, he... He said, uh, just see their beauty and their charm and how all the men are controlled by them and all these buildings are going up on account of that. And so he saw the, he kind of explained in a nutshell how the whole city was moving and by Vishnu Maya. And that's what he said at the end. He said, just see the power and the charm of Vishnu Maya. So it's a wonderful thing, this Vishnu Maya, when seen from an enlightened perspective. The material world is not really all bad. It's Vishnu Maya. It's a wonderful aspect. Of Vishnu. Therefore, Prabhupada could look at some aspects of it, for example, in that famous picture of him looking at the fifth canto, the pictures where some of the more um, frightful aspects of material existence are described with a huge grin on his face. <laughs> <laughs> so, Vishnu Maya, Parikshit Maharaj, you know the famous description of the, uh, and bewildering description of the cosmos given in the fifth canto of Srimad Bhagavatam where the sun is said to be closer than the moon and all such things that are hard to reconcile. There are ways, of course, to reconcile that. That's a big topic, but 
what brought that on, that whole discussion of many chapters, was Parikshit Maharaj's astute inquiry to Sukadeva Goswami, wherein he asked about Vishnu Maya. Tell me more about Vishnu Maya, about the workings of material nature. Why? He said, because by understanding the workings of material nature, one can understand the position of Bhagavan and gain impetus to attain him, his association, his company, his service, enter into his leela. So we should not neglect understanding the material world, and we should, of course, view it through the eyes of sadhus and shastra. These are, in one sense, comprehensive ways of looking at it. And that doesn't mean in terms of all the details. We may find details about material existence from other sources, from those who are more absorbed in the details. Prabhupada was once asked by a fellow, do you know everything? And Prabhupada said, at that time, he said, yes. And then the fellow shot back a question, how many windows are there in the Empire State Building? And Prabhupada said something like, as many as there are drops of water in an illusion. (laughs) (laughs) Just like if you drive in the heat and you see an illusion of water on on the road ahead, how many drops of water are there? So something like that. His explanation was, his answer was, and was that if you know that the material nature is illusory, the material experience is an illusory one, then you know it. Then you know everything about the material world. Details, you can leave that to somebody else. Sukadeva Goswami himself replied to Parikshit Maharaj in a similar way as he began to explain the nature of material existence to him. When he said, it's unlimited, I could never describe it entirely, it's not possible. In a nutshell, what it is, is a transformation of the modes of material nature. Sattva, Rajas, Tamas. Various states of transformation of these modes of nature. That is what material existence is all about. Then I'll tell you some details according to the Puranic historians and what people are thinking at the time and so forth and, and so on. And he gave his long explanation. So, we might get details from other places. It's possible. Shouldn't rule that out. In fact, it's very practical that, as I say, those who are more absorbed in the details of material nature rather than in terms of understanding in a comprehensive way and transcending it, may be able to tell us a little bit more about some of its workings in terms of science and and so on and so forth. But to truly understand it, we shall not go to them. Understanding it means it's synonymous with transcending it. And for that, we have to go to someone who who is in such a position. And that's what this verse, of course, in these stanzas talk about. So it begins, Vishwanath Chakrati Thakur's stanzas here, with this word samsara, and it's meant to emphasize to us the nature of our predicament in material existence. We're in a state of transformation through various stages and planes of consciousness, and we're unaware of that. It's circular. It doesn't go anywhere. We're moving, passing through different states of consciousness, different planes of material experience, through different species of life, Jalaja, Navalakshani, Stavralaksha, Vimshati. Padma Purana gives a, this explanation. As an aquatic, as a plant, as a reptile, as a bird, as a beast, as a human, and so many types of humans, so many types of birds, so many types of beasts and reptiles and plants and aquatics. And it's, it's the implication of this verse is that you, and now the Shastra is speaking, to who? To human beings. The implication is that you, we, human beings, to have arrived in the position that we are now in human life, have passed through all these 
species of life. It talks about 84 lakhs, or 8,400,000 species of life. You've gone through all of them somehow to arrive at human life, hearing from Shastra. Again, Sridhar Marsh was once asked a similar question by a devotee who said, I have not made any advancement, Guru Maharaj. He said, what do you mean? You have human life, no advancement. You advanced through 84 lakhs of species, Jaladana you've come so far. And as my godbrother, Sripad Vishnu Janamars used to say, the distance we have gone before meeting Sri Guru is far greater than the distance we have to go from that point on. Although it may seem a long distance to us to go from where we are to Krishna Leela, the distance we've gone to reach this point of coming in touch with Sri Guru is far, far greater. The idea is that the nature of material existence is absolutely insurmountable. It's circular, samsara, you passing through these stages, up and down, from Brahmaloka down, up and it's possible, up and down through so many species of life, just going in a circle, never getting anywhere. And samsara dhava, samsara karna, samsara dhava means, it's also here uh, compared to a forest, like how we live in a forest here, and uh, sometimes the devotees come and they go, geez, Maharaj, <laughs> you're really out here, aren't you? And sometimes I think like that myself when I'm here just at the Chittahari and the cows, and it's very, very quiet, and we're really quite in the middle of a forest, and you can't see any houses anywhere. And um, To be lost, of course, we're not lost. We're, we're trying to f- help people get found out here, but to be lost in a forest, that is um, rather frightening. And um, one is faced with the prospect that I may never get out, lost in a forest. So samsara dava, dava intensifies the idea of material existence, that material existence, and we're going to compare it to a forest, and not only to a forest, as if you were lost in a forest, but samsara dhavanala. Dhavanala means forest, fire. Anala means mm-hmm. fire. So here we live in the forest again, and this is the greatest fear of everyone who lives in these, this uh, neck of the woods, as they say, that, oh, there could be fire. You know that uh, in the summertime, often here in California, these uh, beautiful forests go up in flames. And at that time, there's almost, you have but almost, uh, it gets to the point that you have but a prayer for some intervention outside of the capacity of mankind, of humankind, humanity, to bring about an end to that fire. People have to evacuate their homes if it spreads so far and just get out of its way. So very strongly what's being emphasized here in the very beginning of this, these stanzas about Sri Guru is the nature of our predicament. And only in as much as we can understand the extent of the nature of our predicament in material existence, can we have the type of resolve that is required to take advantage of Sri Guru and find our way out of material existence? So it's in a couple of words here, he's emphasized this point, the all-consuming and entangling nature of material existence. We really don't understand it, how lost we are. In fact, we are so lost in material existence to ourself, to our real nature, to our real potential and prospect in life, to become happy and fulfilled, which is what anyone and everyone wants. We're so lost to attaining that, that we rely upon products of it, in pursuit of it, even our own sensual capacity, 
our mental intellectual capacity we rely upon for attaining our ideal fulfillment, happiness in life. These things are the products of the very cause of our predicament, of our suffering. So busy our minds are to create a solution to the problem. We do perceive there is a problem. (laughs) And so busy our minds are to bring about an end to that. But we haven't stopped thinking long enough to get a glimpse into the reality that that thinking is causing the problem. All of that busy work. So we have to stop that. Stop thinking. And allow for some ingress from the other side, from outside of the forest fire of material existence to come and bring a solution to our problem. This, again, is the extent to which we are in a predicament. We don't realize it. We don't live our lives daily like that. And on occasions like this, we stop for an hour or two or a day to think about it. We make some resolve, and quickly it fades away again. Then again, the day comes, and next year. So these days are meant to uh, bring emphasis to this, so that one year after such a day, we may make every day such that we remember, take note of, realize, understand the nature of our predicament. You see, this is so vital, so crucial to our spiritual advancement, because spiritual progress is really about... It's very simple. It's about crying. It's about understanding our neediness. Shunamarsh used to say that if a young boy is not hungry, it's a problem. If a young boy is hungry, that's a sign of good health. We should have some hunger for bringing a comprehensive solution to the problem, our problem in life, our unhappy condition. Some hunger for that. Our positive standing will be measured negatively, again, in the language of Shunamarsh, by the extent of our neediness. When we feel, I'm all right, I'm okay, and I can say, I'm okay, and you're okay, that's really a problem. <laughs> that's the full-scale perpetuation of material existence. No, our situation is very precarious, very problematic. So here it is emphasized, samsara dhavana lida loka. Lida loka. Loka means the people. So the people of this world are people in a forest fire. They're going in a circle in a forest fire trying to get out. And the lidha, they're melting. It means afflicted. It means, li means to melt. Duh means to cause. It's causing their melting. We're being consumed by the fire of material existence. We're not just in it and it's okay. <laughs> We're being consumed by that. Only as much as we can, to the extent, the degree to which we can understand, again, the nature of our predicament, can we have the resolve that's necessary make a solution. And we don't, in and of ourselves, on our own. And so, tranaya karun nagdhanaganatvam. Deliverance, tranaya, is necessary. From outside, some intervention comes to deliver us. And in many ways, of course, that deliverance is brought about, but in a beginning sense, but an all-important sense, in that deliverer's emphasizing, as I am to you, and as Vishnu Chakrati Thakur is in this stanza, in his first line, Again, the nature of the predicament that we're in. How many times Prabhupada would speak about this over and over again? You have human life. It's a great opportunity. What will be lost if you don't take advantage of it? How what is the all-consuming nature of material existence and so forth? In and of ourselves, we may not find impetus and insight into the nature of our predicament, but from outside, this starts to come. This is not 
just something we can pass over and we'll talk about Krishna Leela and the Guru just comes to speak only about that. But there has to be sufficient emphasis on this that we can take advantage of the negative impetus that material nature offers in terms of its our orientation towards it at present, which has it showing us a face that is unfriendly, a face of chastisement, if you will, as a mother. Material nature is called to, compared to a mother, as a mother will, will sometimes have to do. This emphasis has to be there. So, samsara dhavana lida loka, tranaya karum naganaganatum. The deliverer, triate, who delivers, that person has been compared to a cloud, gana gana. Ghana means thick. So it implies uh, thickness, implies uh, in this context condensation. Ghana, ghana, condensation. And this condensation, in a word, he says here, takes the form of karunya, mercy. I remember very um, clearly, first time, and I think it was the only time that I heard Prabhupada say this in Los Angeles after giving a talk in which uh, some discussion about the topic of Sri Guru came up, and he said in concluding the talk that the spiritual master is the incarnation of Krishna's mercy, Krupabhadar. So what is this condensation? A cloud, of course, is condensation of ocean. The word ocean is, comes here in the next line. Praptasya kalyana gunanavasya. Praptasya kalyana gunanavasya. The person who is in a position to give karunya, mercy, to be a very extension and personification of the mercy of God in a condensed kind of form. What does that mean, condensed form? It means that mercy is distilled and condensed and focused, particularly locally. Krishna is merciful to everyone. Krishna is merciful to all living beings. But he shows a condensed form of his kripa, of his mercy. What is the instance of that? When it comes locally to us. It is said, Brahmanda Brahmite Kona Bhagyavanji, Guru Krishna Prasade Pai Bhakti Latavaj. That we are wandering, again the same concept, Brahmanda Brahmite Kona. Wandering throughout the universe, through so many species of life, aimlessly wandering without knowing which direction to go. Brahmanda Brahmite Kon Bhagya. One becomes lucky. Sometimes it's compared to logs floating down a river. Just like the flow of the Ganga, flowing very fast down the mountainside of the Himalayas. Log, a tree branch falls and is floating. One branch out of many might get stuck, just snagged, caught, stops in one place, just by good fortune. It means also this, luck, good fortune, without reason it means. What is without reason? Above reason is love. Mercy is also above reason. Reason means justice. There's a good reason for it. It's just, it should be done. Mercy transcends justice. Then again, without justice, there can't be any mercy, any chance to transcend that, to overrule that. There's a place for justice. There's a place for karma. Sometimes people ask, why doesn't God just liberate everyone? Why is there the material world? There is the principle of karma. Justice exists. You want to do away with justice? Then you will do away with mercy also. Some things you can't ask why they are. They are. The question is to figure out how they are, how they work. There are elements, uh, aspects of existence, 
how they're working, how they're affecting us. So luck, Bhagyaman, it really means good fortune, an auspicious opportunity. It means an act of love, act of kindness on the part of Bhagwan, God, in relation to us. We're wandering throughout the universe aimlessly, but maybe we have a thought to do something good or to find a solution to life, some inkling in our heart. He's very sensitive to that. When he sees just a little inkling in that regard, then Brahmanda Brahmitekon Bhagavandi Guru Krishna Prasade Bhai Bhakti Latavij. The Lord in the heart of Chaitya Guru, who we can't see. Chaitanya Charitamrita Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami describes that Sakshad Nahi, this Chaitya Guru, is in the heart. Dive Sakshat Nahi Chaitya Guru Rupe. That we cannot see him. The Jiva cannot see directly the Chaitya Guru who's living in a particular form within the heart of the Jiva. He's the heart of the soul, the heart of the soul's heart. It means that all we can really be is represented, in a sense, by the Lord in the heart. That he's taken his place there. Even though it's present, not well prepared, <laughs> it's a place for him to reside. He's come there to show us that such possibility, such potential is there. I'm here. Clean up the area and you can see. I take my resting place in the heart of the soul. What an auspicious place it is. Why have you left it in the, in, in the condition that it's in? So while we cannot see that form of the Lord, Krishna Daskabhi Raj Goswami explains what? That Shikha Guru Krishna Hoi Mohanta Swarup. Shikha Guru Krishna Hoi Mohanta Swarup. We cannot see him in the heart. He comes before us as a Siksha Guru. Diksha Guru is also Siksha Guru. He wouldn't be a Diksha Guru if he didn't give Siksha to attract us. But he happens to use the Siksha Guru word in this particular verse where he's talking about Siksha Guru. Siksha Guru Hai Krishna Mohanta Swarup. Swarupe. He comes before us as the Siksha Guru to teach us about the, the Lord hiding in the heart. We're wandering throughout the universe aimlessly. You become lucky. What's that good luck? He causes our good fortune by residing in the heart and just noticing some inkling in his direction. I want to do the right thing. I want to find a solution. At some point, then, what does he do? This is a general idea of ours. He brings us in touch. He says, that Krishna's covers explain, the Krishna brings us before the Guru. And the Guru brings us before Krishna who's hiding in the heart we cannot see. He brings him out. So the point is, in a condensed form, Krishna is merciful, all merciful to everyone. It goes without saying. But in a condensed form of mercy, he comes locally to us. Krishna in the heart leads us to that guru because he wants that guru to lead us to him. So we should pay all attention there. Therefore, we hear that the service of the Guru, sometimes we hear, and is more important than the service of Krishna. This is, a, this is not... A, a guru means Krishna, as we are explaining. This is an arrangement of Krishna. This is his arrangement. In the condensed form, he's coming to us. That Guru Praptasya Kalyana Gunarnavasya. Praptasya. He has drawn. He has attained. He has obtained. He has drawn from Gunarnavasya. Kalyana Gunarnavasya. Kalyana Guna. 
Kalyana guna means auspicious qualities, beautiful qualities, good qualities. And Kalyana gunarna vasya means ocean. This is Krishna. Krishna is an ocean of auspicious qualities. And Guru is the condensation of all good qualities of the ocean of Krishna in the form of a cloud. And focusing in a condensed way, the essence, what is the essence of all Krishna's qualities? His, his mercy, his kindness, his kindness to the devotees. That he's dear, kind to the devotees. And making people into devotees. They're all devotees. Some know it, some don't. The essence of his good qualities. He has innumerable good qualities. Rupa Goswami has given 64. Jiva Goswami has given 80-some in Krishna Sandarbha. There are so many. You cannot count them. But at least with regard to ourselves, we have to logically conclude that the best quality of Krishna is his mercy. <laughs> this is the best quality. <laughs> this is the idea. Guru comes like this, condensed form of Krishna's good quality. Kalyana. Kalyana means auspicious qualities. Kalyana guna, auspicious qualities. It means a guru is also Sarvadeva Maya Guru. Bhagavatam says, Yasasti Bhakti Bhagavati Akinchana Sarver Gunai Statra Samasate Sar Harova Bhakta Chakuto Mahadguna Manorate Nasati Dhabatu Bahi. Guru means devotee, real devotee. Yasasti Bhakti Bhagavati Akinchana, real devotee, who has means has realization, realized knowledge. Such person, real devotee. Yasyasti bhakti bhagavati akinchana sarvergunai statra samasate All the good qualities of the gods are in him. All the good qualities of the gods are particular representations in each god of so many of the qualities of Krishna. Therefore, all the names of the gods and goddesses are all names of Krishna and his consorts. With that understanding, we can chant any demigod's name. And Brahma Samhita is full of that. Chanting all the names of the dim- Ganesh and Shiva and Durga and so forth, all in, rela- in relation to Govinda. Mahaprabhu liked this so much. This prayer, fifth chapter of uh, Sri Brahma Samhita, Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami says, all the Siddhanta of Gaudi Vaishnav is found in there. So it's not some you know Krishna's over here, God's over there. We criticize the gods in the name of glorifying Krishna. Don't think like that. Yes, we make some statements to just differentiate. But then because we have weak faith, then we want enemies, so we make Shiva an enemy, Brahma's an enemy, and this is Maya, Durga's enemy, no. They are all aspects of Krishna. They represent certain qualities of Krishna. And in, in that condensed representation of Krishna that comes to us locally, it has said things like this. Oh, Sarvadeva Maya Guru, all the qualities of the gods are found in, in such a person. Drawing from the ocean, all good qualities... He delivers us by giving us mercy. What does it mean he delivers us by giving us mercy? With regard to qualities that are mentioned here, other than mercy itself, as I say, there are so many good qualities. A devotee means who has bhakti. Who has bhakti is subhada. Kleshagni subhada. This is just the beginning. Beginning of being a devotee. Kleshagni subhada. Kleshagni is miseries are ended. Avidya, ignorance. The cause of all suffering is uprooted and the different stages of states of karmic implication from aprarabdha, unmanifest, to prarabdha, so many states, 
really complicated affair, as we've already explained, this material existence, karmic implication. He's free from miseries resulting from this, Kleshagni, Shubhada. These are the beginning things. Poor Sadaka. To be a true Sadaka, these things should manifest in us. Kleshagni, Shubhada. Shubhada means auspicious. Auspiciousness means it's four kinds. Oh, he becomes attractive to the whole world. world becomes attracted to him. Worldly people become attracted to such a person. And he is a, a joy to the world also. Jiva Goswami has explained these things. Then he says he has all good qualities and he's fully happy in himself. The first two qualities seem to be redundant if you say he has all good qualities, but they are emphasized and stated separately because they particularly pertain to a sadhaka. See what a big idea a devotee is. Even a, a true sadhaka is a joy to others in the world. He's a blessing to the world. A true sadhaka. In one sense, sadhaka, a true sadhaka is a blessing to the world. Why? Because that's why Krishna comes. Krishna incarnates as Varaha and the Sringa for the sadhakas. After Vishnu has set up the world out of love for the jivas, after Vishnu has become many, saikshita, ekobahusham, become many for his own joy, and the world comes about, followed by the problem that all those many are small, and in the face of material nature, they get overwhelmed, oh, then he enters into the world also. There's so many avatars. Avatar means from up to down to come. And what he's looking for is all those sadhakas to collect them up. So those sadhakas, real sadhakas, are a blessing to the world. They also bring the Lord. They bring him on a mission of deliverance. Himself, he comes. Of course, he sends his devotees, higher devotees, as guru and so forth. So many good qualities. Besides the idea that uh, the guru represents the mercy of Krishna, then he has so many good qualities. And he delivers us by those good qualities by setting example for us. Example speaks louder than precepts. That is so valuable to us. We can have books and books and books and books about bhakti. If we have no bhakta, how will we figure it out? I remember we, that we used to sell so many books and people would sometimes read them, buy them, pick them up somewhere and not figure out that, uh, that you know, even though there was a list of centers in the back of, of most of them, where to go or anything. And we would meet people sometimes that had been reading the books and they were mispronouncing all the names and Caitanya and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and all such things. And... Um, it was apparent that, oh, if they just had a devotee's association combined with that, it would, it would accelerate their understanding so much. Practice speaks louder than precept. So the example, it's, it takes the theory, the devotee who's the practical example, takes the theory and puts it into the realm of the practical. It shows how to take that theory and apply it in different times and circumstances. It's, it's absolutely indispensable to have the company of such a person who exemplifies then all good qualities. Krishna, in our heart, we can't find him, we can't see him. He can before, come before us as the Guru. It means our own heart coming before us. It's not a foreign element, really. It's our own potential in life, our own prospect, how auspicious our life can be coming before us. What an extraordinary arrangement this is. One of my disciples once many years ago, I like to tell this story. Forgive me for those of you who heard it before, but she was once asked by a friend after she had come and joined, spent some time with me, that friend wrote her a letter and said, very nice that you're there and appreciate that and all, but I only have one question to ask you. 
when you look in the mirror, do you smile? So he was, you know, thinking, you're there, everything, you got all this philosophy, but are you really happy there? <laughs> so she wrote back and she said, actually, um, I used to look in the mirror and smile, but since I've been here, I don't. I look in the mirror and I don't think there's a whole lot to smile about. But when I look at my guru, then I smile. She told me that, and I said, oh, yeah, you have good understanding, actually. There's nothing wrong with you. But what All you can be and your greatest potential, that you don't see by looking in the mirror. But by looking at the guru, then you see that. That's the reflection of your, your inner heart and, and prospect in life, potential in life. Look in the mirror, we, we, without knowledge, you might think, oh, I look pretty good, I've got a pretty, things going pretty well for myself. <laughs> but with some knowledge as to the nature of our predicament, as we've been discussing, we might think otherwise, oh my gosh, we become disappointed. But the disappointment is so, it's worth disappointing someone. I told the story also of my younger brother, once he came looking for me, black sheep of the family, <laughs> to a temple, where I had, had been, and uh, he was living in that city, and the, the devotees said, oh, you're his brother, and they talked to him about me and so forth, and we talked to him about Krishna consciousness, of course, and as he was leaving, he said to them, he meant it positively, he said, it's as if I had been painting a picture of my life with watercolors, and all of your words are pouring water on the canvas. I see how meaningless all my plans were, is what he, what he was saying. I thought it was poetic, I appreciated it. So we need to do that. We need to cast a little bit of light of knowledge on our lives. We see it's not the auspicious thing that we think it is in and of itself, but what it can be, what potential it has, with the right connection, right association. And that's what this idea of, of Sri Guru is about, that right, the medium for, for associating with the ocean of auspicious qualities. So when those qualities come before us and they're exemplified, we can study them. We should study the character of such a person, our teacher. Not only is his character and person and qualities, but then he also teaches about those qualities. He gives the precept as well. In so many instructions, so many books, he or she may write books, so many talks, and again and again, we should listen to those things very carefully. Here it is mentioned that we will be delivered from this predicament of material existence by the mercy of the guru. So what is that mercy then? What is that mercy? At the end of this stanza of Vishwanath, he says, Yasya prashada bhagavat prashadu, yasya prashada nagati kutopi. That by the mercy of the Guru, we can get the mercy of Krishna. And he emphasizes that without getting the mercy of the Guru, there's no possibility of getting the mercy of, mercy of Krishna. So, what is that mercy of the Guru? Is it, we talk about? Is it, is it a magic wand? or No, not like that. It's magical that it happens to us and how it, it happens in the first place. Krishna's arrangement, it's magical. No doubt about that. But there's something very practical about it. Don't just look for magic. There's a nice verse in Bhagavad Gita in which, upon commenting on, Prabhupada cites this final stanza of Vishwanath, Yasya Prashadat Bhagavat Prashadu, Yasya Prashadat Nagati Kutopi. And Vishwanath Chakrabhati Thakurari, in a way, alludes to it himself in his own commentary on Bhagavad Gita on that verse. The verse is Vabasayatmika Budhir Ekehak Gurunandana. Buhushakahinantascha. You know this verse? Krishna is speaking about bhakti in this verse. It's really the, right in the beginning where he gives a prelude, so to speak, to what the book is ultimately about by emphasizing bhakti before he then starts to speak about Nishkam Karma Yoga, Jnana Yoga, and so on and so forth, and, and the kind of the yogic ladder that again culminates, that ultimately culminates in bhakti. 
at the end of the sixth chapter. So very, very in the beginning, the second chapter, after Krishna has given some knowledge of the difference between matter and spirit, he begins to tell Arjuna about bhakti. Oh, I want you to tread this path of dharma. A little endeavor in this is so fruitful. You'll be saved from the greatest danger. He talks about how to go about it. Then he means resolute intelligence, fixed intelligence. Vishwanath has commented there that in light of bhakti, nothing else really amounts to fixed intelligence. The karma marg, or even karma yoga marg, involves so many desires. In other words, in karma yoga, you will have so many desires, but you will engage in those desires by way of sacrificing the fruits of them as they're fulfilled for God. This is a kind of an upper end of nishkam karma yoga that's the lower reach of bhakti that Gita is speaking about. In that, there are many desires. But in bhakti, then the desire becomes more exclusive. And in rag bhakti, the teaching of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu becomes particularly exclusive and precise. This is Vyavasatmika buddhi. Now, in commenting on this, as I said, Prabhupada cites Yasya Prasada Bhagavat Prasada, Yasya Prasada Mahagati Kutopi. He's saying, resolute intelligence is to focus your energy on that manifestation of Krishna that has come locally for me to pay attention to my individual case, focus all my attention there. This will get me Krishna's mercy. And Vishwanath Chakrabhati Thakur, in speaking on this verse, he says, I follow my spiritual master resolutely. This is how I have Vyavasa Buddhi, fixed intelligence and bhakti. By following my spiritual master resolutely. In terms of what? This is important. In terms of shravanam, kirtanam, smaranam, padasevanam, all these things that make up bhakti. He says, I won't give up these things in my sadhya, in my sadhana, in my practice, or in my sadhya, in my perfection. Whatever they bring me, whatever conditions they take me to, even if it be material misery, I'll never give them up. He's talking about chastity to the principle of guru. Do you understand? This is an important topic in the community of Gaudias these days because it's a little bit hard to understand. For example, when persons like myself, Brahmadas, Prahlad, and others that were initiated by Srila Prabhupada came in touch with Srila Sridhar Maharaj and were taken by his good qualities, his karanya, and what he had praptasya, what he had attained, then some people thought oh, that they are unchaste to Prabhupada. Their loyalty is in question. But Vishwanath Chakrabhati Thakur is explaining something here that's very important for us in this regard. It loyalty to the guru means loyalty to all these things that he teaches about chanting, about hearing, all these advices he gives about bhakti. Loyalty to these things, these things will change our life entirely. Then we'll feel the company of guru in a, way, in a mystical way. It's changing my life, transforming my life. There may be other aspects, human aspects. Everything won't come from that. We see the human aspects of the Guru as divine because we take the instructions and apply them and we get divine experience within. It starts to change our life. And then obviously the source from which that's coming, we attribute everything to that source to be divine. That's natural.
I've given an example before how my godbrother, Sri Patamal Krishna Maharaj, once said that I used to think that if somebody asked you a question and the answer was affirmative, if you were to give a spiritual answer, you would shake your head like this. <laughs> from side to side instead of up and down. Because that's how Prabhupada did it. So I thought, that's the spiritual way to say yes. <laughs> he said, until I went to India, I found every shopkeeper is doing that. <laughs> so it's wonderful that he saw that aspect in every aspect of Prabhupada as divine. But at the same time, our potential to really do that, which will mean to have eyes tinged with love and so forth, will be dependent upon our taking the instructions to heart. And not about so many details. There are so many relative things. But principally, Vishwanath Chakri Thakur is emphasizing this. That sadhana that he teaches. So to fully apply ourselves in terms of the sadhana, that is Bhagavad Prasada. That is Chaitanya Daya. That is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's mercy. That is Bhagavad Prasada, Krishna's mercy. And we get that, how to do that. The inspiration to do that. The example to do that. The details of how to do that sadhana from Sri Guru. So we should embrace that. And to the extent that we embrace that, we'll know something about the mystery of Sri Guru. We'll know it's mysterious. At least we know that. It's mysterious and it's comforting to be in touch with something mysterious because outside of that, life is rather dull. So Vishwana Chakravati Thakur here has given this kind of explanation to begin. Sangsara dhavanan lidaloka tranaya karunaghanaghanatvam praptasya kalyana then he says, Bande Guru Shi Charanadavindam. So to the to the lotus feet of such a guru, who is the deliverer of the afflicted, melting jiva in the predicament of the samsara of forest fire of material existence, by the mercy that he is drawn in a condensed form from the ocean of auspicious qualities, it is really Krishna himself. To that person, uh, from my Dandavat Pranam. Isi Bhakti Vedanta Swami Prabhupada ki jai. Si Bhakti Rakshak Sita Dev Goswami Maharaj ki jai. Si Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur Prabhupada ki jai. Si Gokishwaras Babaji Maharaj ki jai. Si Satchirananda Moy Thakur Bhakti Vinod ki jai. Bhakti Vinod Puribar ki jai. Si Gauri Vaishnava Sampradaya ki jai. Rupanuga Sampradaya ki jai. Rupanuga Varga ki jai. Gaur Bhakti Vrinda ki jai. Oh, Premanandi. So, are there any questions? Yes, Dorkadish. Um, it's stated that if you, from, um, say, different animal forms, you become a human. Like, say, if a cow. Become a Brahmin. Like that. Or if you're different, you have a tendency to be situated in that mode more. If you transmigrated from that animal to a human form. So, I guess in some cases, um, a soul can jump, um, not going through all the species. Is that because of mercy? Or? Well, on the scale, from cow form, from cow you go to human. Oh, really? Yeah, that's the scale. You, there's many, cow is a very high form of life. <laughs> so, therefore, not only human, but... Brahmin family. Mahaprabhu said it himself. Well, something to that effect. He said, what? I was a cow herder in my previous life. Therefore, I got to be a Brahmin in this life. Some, so from cow to cow herder, <laughs> from cow herder to Brahmin, something like that. So it's not like what 
Darwin people, you know, Dar Darwin theory says, you know, uh -huh. the, the apes are more related to humans. So I was always thinking that maybe monkeys would be the next step to humans. But that's well, um, I can't claim to be an authority on, on, on every aspect of this, uh, this but the different acharyas have talked about it in different ways. And uh, Bhakti Vinod Thakur, in an attempt to interface with modernity, at some point he did try to comment about the Padma Purana verse that I mentioned from aquatics to trees and so forth, different species, to comment on that in relation to uh, Darwinian evolution and show some parallels. But other commentators have commented in, in different ways. And as you brought up, there is the mention of the idea that from the cow, one takes birth as a human in a in, in mode of goodness, from the tiger in the mode of passion, and from... Monkey. Could be. Monkey in the mode of ignorance. So maybe Darwin just didn't get the details of the modes, but he got the... <laughs> evolution is, of course, a huge topic in, in just the word. There, obviously, there is evolution that's going on of some kind, but it hasn't been fully figured out by what the nature of that evolution is in every respect by the Darwinians or uh, modern science. Neither has been articulated by the Vaishnavas in such a way that the scientific community would be convinced that they figured it out either. So they have yet to articulate it in such a way that it's compelling enough to convince the world that this is the true and comprehensive theory of evolution. But some kind of evolution we're involved in Shridharmarsh liked to call it a subjective evolution of consciousness. There's a book about that. Another question? In the avatars, there's Macha, the fish, right. and then Korma. The reptile. Yeah. And there appears to be some kind of evolution there right. in the, until, you know, Ram, he's a human being, and so on. So there's animal species and then man. There's the other. It goes aquatic. Then the reptile, Matsya. Right. Then uh, there's uh, Vaman, I believe. No. Nishringa. Nishringa. Nishringa was half man, half lion, so it's, you go animal. I think hmm? Ra, then Nishringa. Oh, Ra, okay, Ra. So Ra is a mammal. Right. Then Nishringa is like from the mammal, uh, from the animal to the, to, the, to the human. And then there's Brigupati or uh, Parasharam, who's a wild man, uncivilized man, <laughs> barbaric man. Then from Parashuram it goes to Ram, the civilized man. Yeah, very good. Civilized man, the king. And then Krishna, the, or Balaram, the playboy. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. <laughs> and then to Buddha, wise. And then what, Kalki, which is... Uh, Brings an end to the age. I don't know what else he represents in a sense, but it was this Das Avatar conception of of Jayadev Goswami that Bhaktivinoda Thakur took and tried to interface in his writing in a way with the theory of evolution. And I've read some of the things he's written about it, and it's not written in such a way that somebody else would have to take those that idea and with a scientific background and so forth and write about it in order to bridge the gap enough for this. Darwinians types to appreciate fully what he was speaking about, but he is giving some license to the idea of some form of evolution, which is obvious, some form of evolution. We're evolving, hopefully. Even the devolving is, is supposed to be part of evolving. Anyway, it's a, that's a big, that's another lecture. Yes? 
Kamosh, can you explain the, the concept of the plurality of gurus, finding guru in more than one person, how to recognize it, and what the idea is? Well, with regard to the plurality of gurus, it's also important to emphasize the singularity of guru because in the beginning stage, if we just speak about a plurality of gurus, we may find people just go here, there, and pick and choose whatever they want and never really take advantage of, of a teacher and become a disciple, come under the, under the discipline. So with that preface, then at the same time, there, the concept of plurality of gurus is, is basically that, that the guru is, is one but appears, it means Krishna, but appears in a number of forms. The mercy of Krishna, if we are identifying as we have, the guru as the mercy of Krishna, the mercy of Krishna appears in a number of different forms to cater to the needs of uh, the many, many people in the world, to tender to their faith, to awaken their faith, to culture their faith, and so forth. So, there is a plurality of gurus. Now, is there a plurality of gurus for one person? Yes, in a general sense, for every, every disciple there's a plurality of gurus. If he has one guru who is his diksha guru, who is his siksha guru, who is his sannyas guru, who is his ra guru, whatever, Bhartma Pradaksha guru, whatever type of guru you can mention, it could be all one person. Still that person will be in touch with a plurality of gurus because by coming in touch with the one guru, we come in touch with the guru parampara. It's a whole succession of gurus. And ultimately, what? We come in touch with a land of gurus in the language of Sridhar Maharaj. The whole of Goloka is made up of gurus. <laughs> The dust there is, we take on our head. That's why we wear tilak. We've got gurus on our head. We take the dust from Vrindavan and put the... So, that is one idea. And at the same time, we may find that one disciple may have a diksha guru, and he may have a number of another, another guru who is a siksha guru. He may have even more than one siksha guru. It's possible. And so your question pertains largely to that. How one recognizes another guru? in the same way that you recognized your guru, your first guru. What drew you in? What, 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 is the, what do we look for? That inspiration to take up Krishna consciousness. And maybe we met a guru and we got inspiration and then over time maybe we haven't had that guru's contact or maybe that guru has left the world or is, is unavailable to us. Maybe he has many disciples unavailable as possible in some capacity. In a capacity, for example, that we may need company association to progress. So you may get a little, um, maybe some cobwebs or something. So Siksha Guru may come. So your question is, how will we know? How will you not know? When it's staring you right in the face, and you're getting inspiration for Krishna consciousness to take it up, and it's causing you to chant more and hear more and be enlivened about Krishna consciousness. That's what it's about, right? That's my experience. Nobody ever influenced me like Prabhupada. I mean, and I knew many devotees, and I could influence many devotees and non-devotees. And Prabhupada's influence was just like, everything stops here, just like, that was so powerful. I never would have expected or imagined or ever dreamt that I would have met someone like that that could affect me in the same way. I wasn't looking for that, even. But I met such a person in Sridhar Marsh, whom Prabhupada himself introduced to me. I mean, I should have thought of it. He's the one that said it to me. Well, if you have any questions, and I was massaging his feet at the time, about philosophy after I'm gone, you see my godbrother, B.R. Shidamarsh, in Namadweep. But I was so uh, so proud, I thought I didn't have any questions. <laughs> I didn't have anything to learn. I was a very prominent disciple of Prabhupada, and I was able to turn so many devotees' heads around, and so many non-devotees' heads around. 
I could make the, you know, the, the biggest atheist buy the Srimad Bhagavatam, you know, and go away smiling, having parted with, uh, with his hard-earned money. But you know, in time, I became a little more humble and by force of circumstance, and I got the good company of Sridhar Maharaj. And I immediately I could understand. Nobody can influence me like this, but Prabhupada, therefore, these may be two leaves, but they're coming from the same tree. An influence could be even greater. It's possible. Sikh Guru could have a greater influence. That's possible. And I tell you frankly, you're all my disciples, so many of you, you be open to that. I'm not here forever. I can leave tomorrow. My point to you is to find Krishna consciousness. And you have to use your good intelligence and sincerity, apply yourself, understand the theory, apply yourself sincerely, and get it wherever you can find it. Know what it is, theoretically. Therefore, I'm writing books. I'm giving so many talks on so many CDs. You can know what it is, theoretically. Apply yourself, get some experience, and go after that. I'm there. If you like something in me, it's that. That's what it is. I mean, I may look good, I may look bad, I may be funny, I don't know. You may think so many things. <laughs> That's all this, uh, this is secondary. Krishna consciousness is what we are interested in. That's what we come together for. So you look for that. I tell you openly right now, look for that. I won't be here forever. Some of you are, are young. I won't be here for the rest of your life, physically, in this form like this. If someone else comes along and is able to pluck you up and help you, they're helping you only to come wherever I, I'm situated and they're asking you to come. So you can think like that. That means that we should uh, we should make the words of our guru like our life and soul. It means, like I said earlier, same idea. Verse of Bhagavad Gita. That you focus your attention on all these things that he says about hearing and chanting about Krishna. All these practices that he details and outlines for us. We should embrace them like our life and soul. Yes? It sounds like uh, Gaudiya Sampradaya is becoming so denominational. You know, like so many different... Sectarian, you mean? Sectarian, yeah, sectarian. <laughs> <laughs> what do you feel that Prophet's vision was how to carry on? It seems like there's a lot of controversy on whose idea or... Take the non-sectarian idea. So who is teaching that non-sectarian idea? Whoever's speaking about that and practically dealing like that, then you associate with those persons. You should find association. You know, there are many groups and there are many people in many groups. So you try to be an essential devotee, non-sectarian, and you try those devotees that advocate sectarianism in, such, in certain ways as unbecoming and so forth, and you just ignore that. You just ignore that. And don't, don't if it's too uh, troublesome, there's zealousness, and you avoid them. And those that you can resonate with and that are non-sectarian, regardless of what group they may be in, you associate with them. You make a group like that. You can take the walls down, you know, for the structure of your, of your, of your what group you're in. Be in a group of essential devotees who are interested in hearing and chanting about Krishna. This is what Prabhupada taught. Prabhupada was one of the movement uh, based on two things. They would run on two principles. Who could say what they were? Love and trust. So everything else, all the other, you can find a person is influenced by love and trust. They can honor the faith. If he can honor the faith of your, of you. In your guru, you can honor the faith of him or her and in, in his or her guru and you can all go on happily. 
There are always going to be some sectarian people. They're going to be the loudest and they're going to be the largest group in any group. In any group, the less advanced devotees are going to be the majority. And they're going to have more of a materialistic conception of the guru, more of a sectarian conception of the guru. Their faith is going to be weaker. Therefore, they're going to need an enemy to support it. And so that's always going to be there. Kanishtadikari is going to be the largest sector and they are going to be troubled by this. They carry, they are the Baragrahi, they carry the burden of sectarian identification to the extent that it obscures the essence of the sect. And this isn't just relative to Gaudiya Vaishnavism, it's the whole religious world. We see that. The largest group of religious people are the ones that are at odds with one another, ready to fight with one another, they be Muslims or fanatical Christians or Hindus fighting Muslims, whatever it may be. But amongst all these groups, there are other people who are more essential practitioners and so forth. And they can be cordial with one another, even they may have differences. The differences are not on the level of the physical level, they're on more of an intellectual level of discussion and so forth and so on. So this is the general religious uh, phenomenon, and this is the phenomenon within Gaudiya Vaishnavism as well. So we can't be discouraged by that. But, oh, I should give this up, it's so sectarian. Everywhere there are people that are not sectarian. It doesn't mean you have to be sectarian in a, in a negative way. You should be sectarian in a positive way. Sectarian has also a positive context. To be part of a, of a group that has a certain identity that helps me promote my practice and ultimate uh, spiritual identification and so forth, that's important. Nothing wrong with saying your group is best, as long as you can hear someone else say that their group is best. And that, I'll have a problem with that. <laughs> so when we look at the time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, so many devotees, so many gurus, and what, with the basic principle by which all of that went on as harmoniously as it did is the honoring of the faith of the disciples. Faith comes, why? Why people have faith in me? You don't know. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> but well, you know, we're pressed to honor that, so that's mystical. We honor that. Hmm? And that's Krishna's arrangement. So if we honor the faith of everyone, then we can, uh, we can interact amongst the different Gaudiya sects without any problem. But when, when that's interfered with, the people are overzealous and fanatical, then rather than I say, rather than just write them off, we just, this is a phenomenon, a Stadikari phenomenon, it's understandable. I don't like that, I don't identify with that. I don't want to criticize them beyond that. They're devotees too, but I'll find my association elsewhere. Could be other people in the same group who agree with you 100%. And you think, well, you're in different groups. But no, you're in the same group. And your, your level of understanding and, and, and realization may be more developed. So, sectarianism is a problem, and we should, in a healthy way, speak against it and speak in favor of it, too, in terms of the healthy aspect of sectarianism. Yes? What is the scope of the future for a disciple who are not able to follow the group properly? Try again. <laughs> Keep trying. If they can't follow the guru properly, then there's sudra in the Daivavarnashram. Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasri Thakur defined the sudras of his concept of Daivavarnashram as those who, who repeatedly could not follow the guru's instructions. They're on the lower end of it, but they're... They're still involved. In a way, there's margin also for error. So it's expected. Maybe some guru is, is merciful. So, If you have difficulty following the guru, then um, keep trying. You'll be successful.
I mean, what level? On what level you have difficulty following? So advanced devotees will say they have difficulty. So everybody's having difficulty according to their perception of themselves and the level of their advancement. Brahma? I just wanted to comment that um, I read that after Bhatra Mahaprabhu in Puri alone, 12 or 15 different um, moths sprung up, Gaudiya moths sprung up, centered around different principal associates of Mahaprabhu. They didn't all join the same, you know, they had their own distinct you Take. Know, style and, or, 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 or mood, and they had their moth, and then there were followers. They didn't all have one just one big organization and, you know, elect the president or something like that. Diversity. Diversity, right. Yeah. Unity and diversity. Yeah. The sectarianism should be actually the charm and the beauty. Oh, they do it like this. They feel like that. And you know why they do? This is their reasoning. And it should be charming. It should be the beauty, the ornament of the community of devotees. The fact that there are different groups and they have slightly different ways of doing things and you can go there and you can see how they do it and be charmed by that. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be this negative thing that, that, uh, that wants it really, the negative thing about sectarianism is that, that it wants to do away with sectarianism. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? It wants to do away with the beauty of all these differences, nuances, and so forth, and it all be, has to be done our way, one way. And so, are you still listening over there in Baltimore? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Any questions on that side? Well, there's a lot to be said about that, but in, in brief, relevant inquiries, tadvidhi pranipatena pariprasnena sevaya. Pariprasna means submissive inquiry, Prabhupada used to say, right? Relevant inquiry. Prabhupada himself, in that regard, what did he say? He posed a relevant inquiry before his guru. Who can say what that was? Right. How can I serve you? That's a relevant inquiry. So you can understand the spirit of that inquiry. Not simply to entertain me intellectually, for example, somebody give me some information that I can go away with and become more proud, having acquired when I regurgitate it, spit it out at somebody else and, and they think I know something and I get that kind of Bhav, that's the, that's, uh, you know, riding the waves of material existence in the most insidious way in a dress of devotion. So the spirit of the, the idea behind the relevant inquiry is that, that an inquiry place that's pertinent to my advancement in Krishna consciousness. I want to make advancement. I want to progress. I want to understand something for the purpose of my conceptual orientation. And the spirit behind it is that I take that and I'm going to use that. Therefore, sometimes devotees make inquiries and they're not in the spirit of relevant inquiry, submissive inquiry. And the guru seems not to answer them or he says something else. Prabhupada would answer something else. Or Siddharmarsh would answer something else sometimes in my experience. That's part of the reason. Because they detected in the, in the inquiry, this guy just trying to entertain himself. Or it's just a collecting information. And so they may say something else that's just more pertinent to the, for example, the crushing of one's ego and, and the submissiveness that's required for divine revelation. So, anyway, that's the spirit of it, relevant inquiry. We should uh, 
we should listen with a spirit to hear something that will help me to make progress. Like when I sit down and listen to a talk that somebody gives, I'm listening for one point, just one point that will help me. Just if I get one, a lecture is just great for me, and I spent my time well. One point, oh, that's so nice. Huh. Carry on with that. Relevant inquiry means also that I sit and listen, and my spirit is that when I hear something that I know, oh, that pertains to me, I take it. I embrace it, I make it part of my life. That's the spirit of relevant inquiry. That's the spirit with which we should listen. Listening means, you know, inquiring, coming before the, the guru, inquiring. I want to know what will help me make advancement. I don't go and ask, Guru Maharaj, can I go and do this? And I'm not prepared to hear no. I want to hear no or yes. Is this good? Will this be good for me? No. Okay, then I have no interest in it. That's the spirit of relevant inquiry. Submissive inquiry. Do you follow? I want to make spiritual progress. I'm not going to check in just to get to some him on my terms. You bless what I'm doing, and I, I go around masquerading as if that's bhakti. <laughs> no. See, Goranga Mahaprabhu ki jai, Kananda Prabhu ki jai, Sri Gauri Vaishnava Guru Paramparaki jai.